0: From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm John Davis from WGCU in Fort Myers. Florida's economy is based
1: on the environment. Our beaches and oceans, lakes and land attract 100 million tourists a year and fuel the agriculture industry from oysters in Apalachicola Bay to the orange
0: groves in central Florida and the nursery plants in Miami-Dade County. Jennifer Granholm is a former governor of the state of Michigan. She's a surrogate for the Hillary Clinton campaign, and she joins us here on Decision Florida to talk about the election and the environment. Governor Granholm, welcome to Decision Florida. Nice to hear from you.
2: Well, nice to be on. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Senator Bill Nelson, the Democratic senior senator from the state of Florida here, has called the Sunshine State ground zero for climate change. Miami Beach, the city is spending $400 million of its money on pumps to help keep its streets dry during king tides. Uh, Meantime, uh, many municipal governments throughout the state of Florida have taken sustainability very seriously. What role should the federal government play, would the federal government play under a President Clinton, take regarding assisting these local communities to prepare for higher seas?
2: Yeah, I think it's clear that the resources of local governments are not uh, significant enough to be able to handle this alone. So you have to have a partner in the federal government, which she has committed to do. She's really prioritized. Both resiliency, uh, sustainability and clean energy as a way of addressing climate change and really frankly looking at the climate change uh, the climate change of uh, you know that all these states are experiencing as an economic opportunity. So yes, Florida is a state that everybody goes to for tourism, etc but it could also be the go-to state for clean energy jobs. Why don't you have? for example, in Florida, the most robust solar, uh, solar economic strategy of any state in the country as the Sunshine State. So she has focused both on helping communities rebuild, helping being a partner with communities, making sure that um, our homeland security it identifies climate change as a, a, a partnership, um, but also as an economic opportunity.
1: And uh, under a Clinton presidency, uh, do you think there would be anything to address situations that you know, these local governments face, uh, particularly those, as Tom had mentioned, who, who are along the coast and who are taking uh, steps to, to you know, in terms of smart growth and mitigating against the effects of sea level rise? Meanwhile, at the state level, you have a, a governor's administration where Department of Environmental Protection officials have been barred from using the term climate change.
2: Yeah, how insane is that, right? When you guys are ground zero on this and you see it every day. So so yeah, no, she really has focused on this. She wants to be able to provide the resources to local governments and to states who are willing to accept those resources and understand the importance of being able to sustain themselves in the face of climate change. And we know, you know, we are we are in some areas of the country beyond uh, you know, just mitigation. We're on to adaptation, adaptation mm-hmm. to this changing world, but we cannot allow the uh, the continued rise of seas. We have to do our part. The president just announced this uh, partnership with uh, you know an accepting what his agreement was in Paris to right. do our part as a nation would to address climate change. Governor
0: Granholm, would a President Clinton uh, uh, endorse that Paris endorse climate and Endorse and go beyond. And so, go, and so go the beyond. Paris- Let me ask you specifically, though, about some of the municipal help, especially for yep. the state of Florida. Uh, Secretary Clinton has proposed a $275 billion infrastructure plan, part of which would go to wastewater treatment plants, sewer plants, and whatnot. Would there be federal funding for the removal, for instance, of septic systems in the state of Florida, which uh, arguably has... Has been a source of some uh, water pollution in the Central Peninsula.
2: Yeah, the the commitment that she's made to infrastructure is not necessary. She has de- broadly defined it. It is uh, covering all aspects of infrastructure. So yes, if a state, for example, if there were an infrastructure bank that allowed for a state to apply <coughs> for funding to be able to do it in the way they see fit, that that is an important aspect of flexible federalism that she is pursuing. Mm. So yes. Infrastructure should be made available in a flexible way to states and localities to be able to address the problems that they have.
1: And the state of Florida is fighting EPA regulations over air emission standards from electricity power plants, coal fire, uh, coal, uh, fire plants. Uh, would uh, uh, President Clinton continue that rule?
2: She, um, the Clean Power Plan is an important, ass- an important thing to defend, and obviously that is right now tied up in the courts. There will be um, a decision probably in the next uh, six months or so about whether the current president's Clean Power Plan is to stand, and that means that the states will have to comply. But but separate from the Clean Power Plan is this Paris commitment. The Paris commitment goes beyond the Clean Power Plan, and so the question is, as a nation, how do we get there? So what the president committed to was to get to up to 28 percent reductions in CO2 emissions by the year twenty twenty five from our two thousand and five levels she wants to get it to a thirty percent reduction she wants to have every home powered by renewable energy to have us generate enough renewable energy so that that happens she wants to see five hundred million solar panels deployed across the country to be able to do that you know in florida it is um it's amazing that you don't uh, that your system does not allow for, for example, third party leasing of solar panels on the roofs of homes. Sure,
0: there was a constitutional amendment that voters yes. approved just back on August 30th regarding that. There's another constitutional amendment regarding solar panels in the state of Florida that's on the, uh, on the ballot in November, Governor Granholm. Let me ask you, finally, we, you mentioned uh, and we referred to the Department of Environmental Protection and reports that it had been uh, banned uh, from using the term climate change. Very simply, would a President Clinton require state environmental agencies in all 50 states to use and plan for climate change and use the terms?
2: Well, there's, let me just say this. You know, you can't, I mean, the federal government is not going to force people to use certain terms, but the federal government will provide a big carrot, and that is this clean energy challenge. Okay. And it, she's putting $60 billion into a challenge to states, a carrot to invite them to be able to access this significant amount of money to be, to be partners in reducing their CO2 emissions and really creating clean energy jobs. And clean energy job clusters. Governor Granholm, we'll, yeah.
0: we'll leave it there. We appreciate your time. Okay. We want to give equal time. Governor Jennifer Granholm, former governor of the state of Michigan, a surrogate for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Joining us now is Ed
1: Russo, president of the Florida Keys Environmental Coalition and a Donald Trump campaign surrogate. Uh, uh, Mr. Russo, you called uh, Trump a highly respected
3: environmentalist. Uh, how do you qualify that that characterization? Why? Well, I've been with him for over 15 years working in the field and making improvements uh, to all of his properties and he is certainly hands-on and totally believes in clean air and clean water you have to see that through my perspective again president of the florida keys environmental coalition i'm also on the county climate change advisory committee and also on the board of reef relief so All of the clean energy initiatives are extremely important, especially down here in the Florida Keys. You're talking about ground zero. Mm -hmm. We're beyond ground zero. Anything that happens, sea sea level rise has direct impacts to our quality of life down here.
0: Uh, And it's Tom Hudson. Uh, You uh, have uh, felt the effects of sea level rise with uh, dry day flooding at the Key West uh, Airport, for instance. Uh, Donald Trump uh, has uh, notably denied... Climate change and the human impact of climate change yet you have witnessed and you live the community you live in has seen the impact of sea level rise
3: I think it's a matter of perspective I mean nobody can deny that uh, climate's changing every day and the sea level rise is a scientific reality right um, I, I think you have to go beyond that and say okay now what do you do I think the media has has missed, missed the point and talk about uh, the different things that really doesn't really impact. I mean, you're just well, talking about the what happens in in, in
0: in Paris. Sure, but doesn't my, the candidate my, need to acknowledge
3: climate change, though? He acknowledges the fact that you have to focus on clean air and clean water, and that's what he's all about. And I think rather than just going to Paris and 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 getting a pat on the back for a very generalized concepts, when we should be talking about specific things that we that we can do in the field. I mean, Florida is a very good example. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia—they're all very good. At, examples of opportunities where people can do good things today rather than just wait around for the government to do it i mean a, a very good example is why while everybody's talking about cl- climate change you've had the issue in flint michigan and here's a situation where with lead they, in the, uh, lead in the public water supply yeah. well it was more than lead in the water i mean here you have these people holding up bottles from the the flint river right and and the water was brown well lead is a colorless and, and tasteless uh heavy metal and there had to be something else there. In, in other words, there should be more hands on the ground, boots on the ground, to make sure that the water quality and air quality is improving. Flint, Michigan, and the Flint River is a perfect example. What are we doing about that? So,
0: so would a President
3: Trump increase funding for federal environmental inspectors? I think Donald Trump is very uh, focused on improving the economy where where you can pay for these things. I mean, again, the, uh, the issues of, of Flint, the uh, Flint River— were or, or a function of people just not doing their job. Where was that pollution coming from? Mm-hmm. Why wasn't there accountability? Uh, again, you've had uh, certain media outlets have, have done a great job in focusing on that, but that was two years af- after it happened. Why weren't the people doing that work every single day? And again, when you talk to environmentalists, they talk about climate change and not the day-to-day air quality and water quality issues that we have to do now, today.
1: All right, let's take a call. For, uh, we'll do that in a little bit, um, but uh, it- you know, just in terms of uh, uh, climate change, you know, be aside for a bit, uh, what kind of environmental initiatives did you advance while working for Trump, either here in Florida or elsewhere in the country? And, and how responsive was he to your ideas and proposals? He supported
0: every knucklehead environmental initiative that
3: I've ever advanced. Such as <laughs> that. And, said, and,
0: give us, a, give, what was the most knucklehead one?
3: Well, we we protected this particular plant called a swamp Pink, which is uh, in South Jersey, right by a, a, a stream. That had the only um, um brook trout in south jersey and it was his responsibility to make sure that that these things uh, didn't didn't get in trouble and they were in serious trouble so we had to go out and we had to collect the seed pods of of these uh, swamp pink and take them to another place and generate thousands of these things and bring them out and plant them because we couldn't bring in other swamp were bank. you and required that's that's were you tough.
0: required to do any of that because of uh, developmental rights
3: or land usage rights great question absolutely not Mm. Uh, most of the things if not all the things that i do are expanding habitats and enhancing habitats and stream stabilization and uh, erosion control projects that are just uh, we're, we're doing that just because donald trump wants to do the right thing i've had audubon and this is in my book just so you know i wrote a book called uh, Donald J. Trump, an American hero, and in it I, I, I chronicle the fact that I've had people from Audubon show up and say, "Hey, wow, these are great habitats. Where did you get the grant money? Yeah. Well, we don't have any grant money." And then the next question is your question, Ed, Ed, which we've, is, we, "We've, got, yeah, we've
0: got to leave it there." It's Ed Russo, president of the Florida Keys Environmental Coalition. He's a surrogate for the Donald Trump campaign and has worked on environmental issues for the Trump companies. He's with us from our southernmost bureau at the studios of Key West. This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio.
1: From Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm John Davis
0: with WGCU in Fort Myers. And I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami. We're talking about the environment and the election today. Sea level rise, water quality, purchase of land. You tell us what your environmental issue is that you're taking with you to the ballot box this fall. 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. Or on social media, use the hashtag Decision Florida. For weeks this summer, a
1: toxic and smelly algae bloom choked the waters east and west of Lake Okeechobee. Polluted water was let out of the lake to reduce its water level. The water releases fouled up to sensitive estuaries, the Caloosahatchee and St. Lucie Rivers. We begin with Amy Green, who visited the St. Lucie River in Stewart in July. And just to start off, Amy, for anybody who maybe doesn't know, um, what did it look like uh, at the height of the bloom?
4: Oh, it was just disgusting. Uh, It just, it looked like... It looked like just mats of of thick green algae. And in some places, uh, for instance, one homeowner who I visited her home, it was just washing up in small clumps of green algae. It looked kind of like wasabi. Um, but but the really terrible thing about the whole thing was the smell. It just was terrible. It smelled like excrement, and it was really overpowering. Um, at one marina, I was outside for maybe 15-20 minutes or so talking with some people and really started feeling sick to my stomach.
0: It was during a visit to Martin County during the height of the blue-green algae problem this July that Senator Marco Rubio talked about ways to prevent the problem in the first place and he spoke about buying land to the south of the lake so water can be released to the south instead of out the east and west sides.
3: Because I have an equal number of scientists that say we're not against the southern land buy but it's the northern land that we really need because that's where a lot of the the water the nutrients are coming in. Ninety percent of the water in Lake Okeechobee doesn't come from the south. It comes from the north.
0: And Patrick Murphy, uh, his Democratic opponent for the U.S. Senate race this fall on WPBF 25 News in July, voiced support for using Amendment 1 dollars here in Florida to buy the land to help clean up Lake O water. I'm urging uh, the governor and those in Tallahassee to take the necessary steps to spend that six, seven hundred million
5: dollars to start buying that land, so then the federal government can continue doing what they can by passing SEP and SERP, ultimately building these projects to build that flowway
0: south. Some of those acronyms there: SEP is the Central Everglades Planning Project, which is part of the much bigger, huger SERP plan, which is the Central Everglades Restoration Project. Both of those, John, are federal government efforts to restore water flow through the uh, Everglades ecosystem. Uh, Amy Green with WMFE, as you uh, saw the algae this past summer, what's what's the status of it? Is it has it gone?
4: Yes, uh, the the algae is better at this point. The Army Corps of Engineers has slowed the releases of fresh water, fresh polluted water from Lake Okeechobee to those coastal estuaries since that terrible outbreak in July, and that has caused the algae to dissipate and the situation to improve there. However, we just had Hurricane Hermine come through the state a few weeks ago, and that has left this uh, water system, which consists of the Simi River here in Central Florida, Lake Okeechobee, this, these water systems are full of water, uh, as Topher mentioned, from this extraordinary amount of rain that we've received throughout 2016 mm-hmm. and now in the wake of this hurricane. And so in because these systems are so full of water, the Army Corps of Engineers is beginning to increase the amount of water it's sending to those estuaries. Whether that will lead to another outbreak of this terrible-smelling algae remains to be seen.
1: In the meantime, what's the economic impact been for communities along the Treasure Coast who've been reeling with this?
4: Yes, it's a it's a terrible situation for those communities. I traveled to the Treasure Coast, which is on the east coast of Florida, um, Martin County, St. Lucie County, that area, and I talked with um, some fishing guides in that area whose business has just been devastated by this. Um, this at the time was water that residents were advised not to go near, and so, there was no inshore fishing at this point. Um, seafood restaurants, um, fishermen who supply seafood to these restaurants, were devastated by this because the water was toxic. And again, residents were advised not to go near it. So, a very devastating economic situation in that area.
0: How about the side on the on the west side, Topher Forehands with WGCU? What about the, any lingering economic impact from the algae bloom this past summer, or building concerns as the water flows have increased again because of uh, because of Hurricane Hermine?
6: All of the above. We had our we had a couple different outbreaks of algae. I don't think it was as severe uh, on the west coast as it was on the east coast. But we've had a number of things that have given uh, our local tourism, um, our our local. Um, Economic areas that depend on tourism, some some fright, and actually we've even heard from um, different local municipalities talking about how, you know, for example, Fort Myers Beach, they've experienced. Um, I've heard from their chamber of commerce saying they're in the midst of um, a micro recession, having layoffs, yeah. having people canceling plans. So. There's a fear that everything that's already been seen and talked about with Florida and and what the rest of the nation is seeing when it comes to the environmental impacts, these discharges, they're afraid that's only going to ramp up again as more discharges um, keep coming out of the lake.
0: Well, it certainly has ramped up the conversation again about land purchases. Jill Roberts and Fort Pierce at WQCS, I want to ask you about Senator Joe Negron's plan that was announced uh, as as the algae bloom was just beginning to uh, perhaps die off in this idea of a Republican supporting uh, the state use of state fund funds to uh, purchase land to help clean up Lake Okeechobee.
7: Right. That seems to be where a lot of the conversation comes. People saying that if you cut... Um, pollution that runs into Lake Okeechobee, the water that comes out of Lake Okeechobee will be less polluted and you won't necessarily need to send it south. But uh, people here really believe that the the water needs to go south because even if it were, you could made, you could have a magic wand and make Lake Okeechobee clean enough to drink from tomorrow, there would still be an environmental impact here from those releases simply from putting the fresh water into a waterway that is supposed to be brackish. So there's, um, a, for around here in this area, most of the scientists back sending um, the water south and, and that proposal.
1: How would you characterize the support from lawmakers um, just in terms of actually dealing with this? I I can tell you personally, when I've spoken with Senator Nelson, he points a finger at the Scott administration. Mm -hmm. And when I speak with Governor Scott, he points a finger at the federal government.
7: Yeah, that's a little frustrating. Um, But, you know, we've had this problem for years. I have worked here at the station for nearly 30 years, and I have been covering this uh, issue for that long. It's not been as bad as it is right now, recently but this is the first time we have at least, no, not the first time, but it is, uh, at least now legislators um, are taking notice and are having this as part of their conversation. The conversation might not be going where we want it to right now, but at least it is something that's getting attention. Uh,
0: The attention, of course, is the purchase of land, and that means, well, what land? There have been multiple land purchase programs that have been proposed through the years. Uh, As Senator Negron uh, takes over Senate leadership in uh, January of 2017, uh, Amy Green, I mean, what is he to encounter amongst his uh, Republican colleagues about uh, the possibility of putting these state dollars to work? And presumably they would be dollars coming from the documentary real estate uh, tax stamp.
4: That's right. What Senator Negron is proposing is using Amendment One funding to purchase land south of Lake Okeechobee and use that land to for, as a reservoir to, as um, she was saying a minute ago, to send more water south. Amendment One, of course, is the state constitutional amendment voters approved back in 2014 that would put that would create more environmental funding for projects like this. Um, What is in that area where that land purchase is proposed is a a very large agricultural community, a very large sugar farming community. And this is one of the largest sugar farming communities in the country. It's the largest producer of sugar cane. And this is a very politically powerful interest group in Florida politics. And this is a group that does not support the sale of this land for Everglades restoration and uh, for the construction of a reservoir, for the use of a reservoir reservoir in that area, and so Senator Negron will face considerable pushback um, from from that side Mm -hmm. of Florida politics, and at the same time, Florida Governor Rick Scott has said that Rather than putting Amendment 1 funding toward new projects such as this one, he supports putting that funding toward existing projects and completing those projects.
1: On the topic of sugar, uh, Topher Four has you spoke with artist Hammock. She and her husband run Frierson Farms, growing sugarcane next to where advocates want to buy land.
8: What's the difference in telling people there that, I'm sorry, but we shouldn't have built your homes here. It was a mistake, so let's take out 10,000 homes and let's put a reservoir in
1: here. Uh, What are the trade-offs legislators would have to make if they okay more money to buy land?
6: The trade-offs with the local community would be that they would have to make an argument that... Really, the the communities south of the lake feel like they've been left out of the conversation. Uh, they feel like these are uh, coastal initiatives, and they're kind of being dictated what to do. Um, they're kind of being told you need to um, give up, or you're going to have this land bought out in your area. And this is a region that has some economic hardships. Uh, Henry County has uh, one of the highest, if not the highest, unemployment rate in the area, um, and a lot of those glades areas suffer from you know some economic troubles. So when they hear these proposals, they feel as if it's a threat to their local communities and they feel as if it's a threat to their livelihood. So I think if you were to actually give them a plan that they would like or that they would find acceptable, and this isn't just Artist Hammock, this is um, also a sort of citizen startup uh, called Glaive's Lives Matter that's beginning to gain ground and Hendry County's uh, helps facilitate some meetings with them and kind of grow community support to be sort of a matching voice to the coastal communities, you'd have to... Give them reassurances that this isn't going to drastically change their life. This isn't going to affect um, where they are, and it's not going to, you know, flood them out or displace them.
0: Uh, Amy, what about the land north? We've concentrated and some of the land purchase programs have concentrated on the lands south and and perhaps just a little bit west of Lake Okeechobee, but uh, the headwaters.
4: That's right. Um, historically, the water traveled down the Kissimmee River from Central Florida to Lake Okeechobee, and then it went further south from Lake Okeechobee through South Florida and into Florida Bay, and that was the Everglades. And And there is talk of more water storage north of the lake, and um, that, that is happening. Um, the, a large uh, restoration project of the Kissimmee River is near completion, and that would slow the full of water uh, from Central Florida to Lake Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee, allowing that water to be cleansed and improving um, the uh, pollution there in Lake Okeechobee. Um, and there also are efforts to increase water storage in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there is um, water for conservation easements, which um, allows ranchers in Central Florida to store more water. Um, on their properties.
0: Uh, That is uh, Amy Green from WMFE in Orlando. We're talking about the environment and the election. You're listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio. This summer, Governor Scott announced plans, Amy, to ask lawmakers in the next legislative session to okay a grant program that would pay half the cost for communities to get off septic tanks and into sewer systems. Uh, Scientists have identified septic tanks as uh, contributing to the pollution in Lake Okeechobee, that it's not just all agricultural runoff. Uh, This would be a voluntary program. Uh, We have seen some numbers from the state budget that this year is going to be pretty good, but next year it looks like, you know, the state dollars could the increase in state dollars could slow down some.
4: That's right. And septic tanks um, here in central Florida have been such a big problem in the Indian River Lagoon. Um, In Brevard County, um, the Indian River Lagoon experienced its worst fish kill in modern history, Um, a a terrible die-off here in central Florida, uh, just thousands and thousands of dead fish floating on the surface of the Indian River Lagoon. And in, in this region, and the picture is similar throughout the state of Florida, septic tanks are part of the picture. They contribute to the nutrients that flow into these waterways and and um, encourage the growth of these algae blooms, like in the Southern Indian River Lagoon, like um, in... Um, on Florida's west coast, and like in the northern Indian River Lagoon, which experienced such a terrible fish kill, and these algae blooms interact in these waterways in different ways. On the northern Indian River Lagoon, the algae bloom sucked the oxygen out of the water, causing the fish to suffocate, and so, so a, a, a big part of, of uh, helping Florida's waterways is addressing this nutrient problem, and part of that answer is addressing these septic tanks.
1: When it comes to you know these sewer systems getting off the septic tanks, uh, is this something that has appeased environmental advocates or do they kind of see this as maybe tangential to the real issue?
4: I would say environmental advocates see that as part of the picture, and um, just for instance, in the Indian River Lagoon, there's also the problem of nutrient, uh, nutrient-laden nutrient muck, which is um, piled up for several feet in parts of the Indian River Lagoon. Again, that muck is fueled by nutrients which come from septic, septic tanks and come from other sources, such as um, flow off of urban areas, um, fertilizer-enriched Uh, lawns um, in residential areas, Um, there's a variety of sources here.
0: Nutrient-rich muck. Jill Roberts (laughs) at WQCS in Fort Pierce, I'm sure you're familiar with nutrient-rich muck. Uh, 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 muck Uh, this this situation between agriculture and septic tanks uh, is there is there a middle way here do we see legislators beginning to uh, not only accept the science but beginning to compromise and seeing some of the long-range planning that's necessary for both of those contributors to uh, begin to be addressed
7: Sure. That's just it. When people start finger pointing, there's a lot of finger pointing to be done, but that doesn't help any anything. And we're worried about now, not in addition to the nutrient laden um, muck, we're going to have uh, the toxic uh, algae. It, that's what, it, when it dies and it, it goes to the bottom, that's what becomes the muck. So we're going to have maybe the toxins down there too. So realizing that that's part of the, of the equation is, is a big step.
0: How is this uh, uh, Amy uh, and Topher playing out in the U.S. Senate race? This uh, is happening uh, and has happened, obviously, as Senator Rubio has uh, his first term under his belt and at least on the east side of Lake Okeechobee happening in the uh, district that uh, uh, Patrick Murphy represents currently.
4: That's right. Um, Patrick Murphy does come from that Martin County, St. Lucie County area where the toxic algae bloom has been um, such a, a terrible problem. Um, and so that will be um, an issue that will be part of his campaign, certainly, and also for Marco Rubio, um, who um, also um, wants to speak out on these issues.
0: for uh, they seem to be debating I- about the number of debates, but we haven't seen necessarily anything really substantive regarding this. <laughs>
4: I would say
6: everybody, and I think this is true across the board with all of our politicians in the state, everybody agrees there's a problem. There's just either a divide on how to fix it or an unwillingness to um, be very vocal one way or the other. I will say with Marco Rubio, he did come down to the Fort Myers area over the summer and... To, was more partial to the idea of um, completing projects south of the lake that mm-hmm. would be funded by um, the feds in an upcoming spending bill and also address looking to the north for more ideas for water solution um, and a final thing he was thinking about was um, was proposing to the core to find more storage in the lake if that's even possible but he's not supporting the land buy as far as i this can this is decision florida from florida public radio
0: From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm John Davis from WGCU in
1: Fort Myers. Florida's environment is as varied and complex as our Florida voters. We live in a state dominated by water. It's been too much water in many communities hit by Hurricane Hermine. More than 268 million gallons of sewage has spilled onto roads and into waterways so far this year, and 95% of that happened in Pinellas County during the storm earlier this month. Most of the sewage came from St. Petersburg into Tampa Bay. Here's Health News Florida editor Julio Ochoa.
5: After the storm, the state and city of St. Petersburg began testing water around downtown and determined it was unsafe. Crews put up yellow signs along the shore, warning swimmers to stay out. They found dangerous levels of fecal coliform and enterococci, two bacteria indicating disease-causing organisms, were in the water. These organisms could carry the risk of gastrointestinal illness or something more serious. How risky? No one knows, because the tests done by the city and state don't say what
0: kinds of pathogens are in the water. Just one indication of how important water and water quality is in Florida and how important the environment is in this election season. Join our discussion from the panhandle to the peninsula today. Hashtag Decision Florida on social media or old school on a telephone, 305-995-1800. Let's go to St. Petersburg, where Alex joins the program. Alex, welcome. Go ahead.
8: Hi, I'm in St. Petersburg, and we've had a large controversy here about the discharge of untreated wastewater into the Tampa Bay area. And, in fact, we're building a new pier. The old pier should never have been torn down anyway, spending uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on that. And uh, people are concerned about, well, what is this going to look like with untreated wastewater around it? We've had uh, incompetent... uh, leadership in our city for the last 20 years all the way from city hall on down to the hired hands and uh, my comment is our new logo for saint petersburg is going to be our uh, new pier with some uh, turds floating around it
0: <laughs> inelegant but alex is 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 this certainly this most recent sewage uh situation that saint pete is experiencing uh is it is it changing perhaps how you may vote come november
8: well, unfortunately, uh, it's mostly a local problem, from what I understand, and we're hammered with a very high utility bill. I'd say at least sixty dollars, and that does include garbage pickup. But is that I per month or sixty
0: for- sixty dollars per?
8: Well, for the house uh, house, which is myself, but how how? Almost, right.
0: But to give us a sense of, is that per year, per week, per month, per month, per month? I'm thank sorry, you. Okay. Month.
8: And I get very little for that because all of these minimum charges for everything. I use very little water. If I use nothing, I put out no garbage. I don't even put out garbage more than once every uh, couple months because I recycle.
0: Yeah, Alex, Um, Alex, we we hear you in St. Pete. They don't charge uh, garbage by the volume for households. They just charge you per household. 305-995-1800 is uh, the phone number. Uh, 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 Amy Green with WMFE is still with us from our uh, sister station in Orlando. Amy, you can hear the frustration in Alex's uh, voice there, the sewer spill in St. Petersburg. The contaminated water and sinkhole situation on a phosphorus plant in Polk County in central Florida is also something that has been in the headlines in recent weeks. Uh, These two incidents have happened just as a a court fight continues over some new state surface water quality standards. Uh, Tell us about the voter interest in the environment this election cycle compared to what we saw in 2014 when a specific environmental amendment was on the ballot.
4: Uh, well, I think there will be very strong voter interest in the environment this election season. We're going to see voters fired up by this toxic algae bloom, as we discussed during the past segment uh, there in the Treasure Coast. We're going to see voters here in Central Florida fired up by this uh, fish kill um, that the Indian River Lagoon suffered in Brevard County. And, and there, are, um, there are environmental problems all over the state of Florida, as anyone who covers environmental issues in this state knows. And I think that Throughout the state, voters will be as fired up as they were in 2014 over the Amendment 1 issue.
1: And just to clarify, there is the 2014 Amendment 1, which uh, you know <laughs> sets right. aside a dedicated funding source for land and, and uh, conservation and acquisition, versus Amendment 1 in November, the utility-backed uh, solar amendment proposal. Uh, but as far as uh, um, the, the first Amendment 1, the one that set aside that money for land and water conservation, uh, is there something of a rift between the will of the voters as expressed by approving that and state lawmakers themselves?
4: Uh, do you mean over the amendment one that was approved in 2014? Correct. <laughs> Correct. OK, <laughs> to, to clarify, um, I think um, I think what you're seeing with that amendment is that the language in the amendment intentionally was left a little bit open um, to allow you know, some latitude in the allocation of those funds and what we have seen since then is lawmakers allocating that money in ways that those who crafted the amendment and those who voted for it perhaps did not envision for that funding and I think that is the, one of the sources of conflict we're seeing over that issue.
1: One of those ways that they've spent that money reportedly has been even just paying salaries right. for some folks working for the Department of Environmental Protection. Um, I mean, has there been any pushback from people saying this, this goes against the, the, the intent of the, the language and the amendment that voters approved?
4: Yes, there has, and there has been litigation uh, filed over some of those issues. Although I don't have at my fingertips right now the status of that litigation, um, but certainly there are environmental groups that are pushing back against some of those things.
0: It was seven hundred and fifty million dollars in fiscal year twenty fifteen that this uh, this land conservation amendment raised in the state of Florida. Two hundred sixteen million dollars of that went into operating expenses. Mm. So it went into paying those salaries and paying for upkeep and maintenance of existing uh, environmental lands and, and products. Another $26 million of it went to pollution controls on private land in the state of Florida, and that's the source of the lawsuit that had been filed by the Florida Wildlife Federation, Environmental Confederation of Southwest Florida, St. John's River Keepers, and a bunch of other folks that were complaining about this. Topher Forens with WGCU in Fort Myers. The the amendment one back two years ago that was focused statewide on the environment and directing lawmakers Uh, mandating lawmakers mandating state spending not even lawmakers didn't have to decide per se but mandating state spending on the environment 75 percent of voters who voted in november of 2014 approved that amendment overwhelming support so what does that tell us what does that tell candidates in this election cycle about the environmental issue do you think
6: i think there's definitely been more of a focus on the environment and uh it probably tells people running for office, local lawmakers and those who want to get into positions of power that you better wake up and pay attention to what's happening around you. And if they didn't need that, then they had the wake-up calls that happened during the winter when we had the uh, unprecedented rain, had all of the discharges. And it's really played out. I see what happened with Amendment 1, uh, the land-buying amendment. Um, That is a precursor to what's happening in this election, where so much of the conversation really has been around the environment. You've had different electoral groups and different voting groups, like the uh, League of Women Voters in Lee County preparing voting guides that include questions specifically focusing on Lake O and the environment. You have um, activist organizations like Bull Sugar, which is uh, focusing on Lake O and buying land south of the lake, preparing voter guides. There are a lot of organizations out there now that are really trying to turn people's heads and point them to the candidates who are voting one way or the other, uh, dealing with environmental issues. Let's take a call
1: now from Tom in uh, uh, Topher in uh, my neck of the woods in Bradenton. Uh, welcome to Decision Florida, Tom. Yeah, hi. Let me let me ask you all a
5: question. Are you sitting down? Do you know that sea level is going to rise? According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA is forecasting a sea level rise of three feet in fifty years. Mm-hmm. Did you know that?
0: Uh, we, I mean, we Certainly here in Miami, uh, Tom, we know that uh, over the last century. Uh, uh, median uh, water levels in Miami Beach have risen by nine inches. Uh, well, the, three the, the, more the, feet the, the, in
5: 50 years. Uh, give, it, give it 50 years and the whole state is going to be... With sea level three feet higher.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, and there, that, there are forecasts that even go out uh, a century, perhaps a little longer, that okay, uh, they're so, double-digit so now, feet increase in, in median sea level rise.
5: Okay, well, well, in terms of Florida issues, Governor Rick Scott signed law May of 2015 to have the local counties use the sea level rise forecast in their planet. Now, here in Manatee County, where I live, they're about to rezone farmland to residential, right at three feet above sea level, to allow a community of Mm -hmm. 2,000 homes. And that's going to be... I mean, it's just stupid. We have the government there But the local people are not following it. So we have the NOAA forecast. Mm -hmm. We have the state law. It's called peril of flood. But on the local level, it isn't being heeded. So all of us are responsible.
0: Tom uh, from Bradenton, we appreciate that input. Uh, The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has uh, baked into their infrastructure projects around coastal areas a sea level rise expectation as well. So there have been federal agencies, uh, Amy, that uh, have addressed sea level rise. uh, And I know local communities in southeast Florida have banded together from Palm Beach County, Broward County, Miami, and Monroe, have the southeast Florida climate change compact where they look on mitigation and uh, uh, and sustainability efforts, but uh, there you hear from Tom from the Gulf Coast, and concerned about uh, the lack of uh, uh, the lack of action on the part of his local officials. I should say that uh, you know, at least nearby in Charlotte County, uh, coastal
1: communities there have been very proactive in terms of smart growth planning and and you know making sure that when they develop that they're taking uh, climate change and sea level rise into account.
0: I think this gets to the difficulty of Amy Tofer and Jill Roberts at WQCS. Uh, Amy, I'll put it to you, the difficulty of these long-dated uh, climate change forecasts that come from client scientists and how they begin to really collide with, uh, with Florida's uh, economic underpinning. In this case, it's not only tourism on the coast, but it's also real estate development in coastal areas.
4: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think that's um, exactly um, the issue that environmental groups are running up against on the issue of climate change, that um, this is a very large problem, it's a global problem, and it's hard to uh, communicate such a large and complex problem in uh, bite-sized, understandable ways. to um individuals who are dealing with problems that are very here and now problems like with the economy um health care things like that and um i i will say that there are communities here in central florida satellite beach for instance that are beginning to um take a look at what the future uh, will be um, there in coastal areas um, but the caller is right there is there's really um, lacking a statewide um, Uh, leadership Mm -hmm. on this issue um, as we famously heard um, the report from the Florida Center for Investigative Reporting about uh, the Florida Governor Rick Scott reportedly um, banning phrases like climate change from state documents.
0: That is uh, Amy Green from our sister station in Orlando. You are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio. Join the conversation at 305-995-1800 on social media, hashtag Decision Florida. Let's go back to the phones from Ocala. Estelle is joining the program. Estelle, welcome to the program. Thanks for waiting.
9: Thank you very much. I, I wish you'd take more calls because the people are smarter than our, our uh, leaders here. Unfortunately, we have a 19th century uh, uh, governor in a 21st century world. Uh, he is, uh, we have less solar in michigan new jersey and new york why is that because they he protects the corporate interests uh he doesn't expand medicaid he doesn't give a damn about people and uh, all he wants is more money for zika
0: uh, estelle you know certainly the governor has won two elections statewide uh to be elected governor he's won it with the majority of florida voters that showed well, up on election like, day but le- let me ask you estelle you, yes. you mentioned solar energy yes. uh, uh there is a an amendment on the ballot in uh november it's called amendment one this year it is a solar amendment ballot will you be supporting it
9: well it, it's it's the way they wrote it that's um that's awfully tricky uh if they write it for for uh, corporate interests then they 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 just expect to make big profits on it This should be something that that, uh, the governor should have some leadership on, and especially what's-his-name, Rubio, who didn't want the job in the first place, and yet people are going to vote for this.
0: Estelle, I'll I'll take that as a no vote on Amendment 1. Okay. how about that? (laughs) All right. Let's have
9: better better leadership, and we need more Democrats because they actually do things
0: for people. Uh, 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 Estelle, so noted. uh, If uh, Republicans in Florida would like to counter that, uh, 305-995-1800. Um, can we go to the phones again and uh, take a call from Lawrence
1: in DeLand? Lawrence, welcome to Decision Florida. You're on the air.
5: Hi, guys. Hi, there. Um, you know, I, I, just to put things in context, I'm a environmental professional. I'm pursuing my graduate degree in sustainability from Harvard um, and doing taking some environmental law classes. And one of the things we looked at was, you know, Florida is one of the states that already has a provision to uh, protect natural resources and to prevent pollution, Um, you know, notwithstanding these two Amendment 1s that are out there. uh, Can the panel talk about those protections and the obligation of our lawmakers, constitutional obligation that's already in place?
0: Lawrence, uh, we appreciate the question. Uh, I'll I'll put that to the panel for anybody to tackle, and I think uh, I will start off by saying what we've seen here. Uh, in response uh, on the constitutional side with Amendment 1, John, two years ago, Amendment 4, and Amendment 1 this year in the solar, is uh, citizens groups uh, responding to what they contend is the lack of uh, representation of their environmental concerns in the state legislature and taking that and getting the thousands of signatures necessary to put a ballot measure, uh, to put an amendment on the ballot. Amy, uh, your your thoughts as you covered this uh, from Central Florida.
4: Yes, I mean, I, I I do think that is the premise of uh, the of um, you know some environmental campaigns. That is the very foundation or the very premise of uh, environmental campaigns, such as in the Everglades. That the state of Florida has a legal obligation um, and a responsibility to. Um, protect the health and well-being of the citizens in Florida, and that includes providing a safe environment. And I think that is um, a premise of some environmental groups who would argue that the state is failing in that regard by, um, by preventing Everglades restoration that would provide safe drinking water, for instance.
0: Uh, Amy Green from our sister station, WMFE in Orlando, covers the environment. Thanks so much for joining us. Also with us uh, throughout the hour, Jill Roberts from WQCS in Fort Pierce and Topher Fores from WGCU in Fort Myers. Thanks to all of them. Keep the conversation going. What environmental issue will you take with you in November? On social media, hashtag DecisionFlorida.
1: That's our program for today. We invite you to join us on social media. Share your experience this political season with us. Use the hashtag Decision Florida. You can also download a
0: podcast of this program at iTunes. Search for Decision Florida. Decision Florida is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami by Julia Duba. Polly Landis is our booking producer. Rebecca Intralgo, our phone screener. Our technical director is Peter J. Merz, who also happens to be WLRN's program director. With engineering help from Charles Michaels and Doug Peterson,
1: we received production help this week from WMFE Orlando, WGCU
0: Fort Myers, and WQCS Fort Pierce. I'm John Davis with WGCU in Fort Myers. And I'm Tom Hudson. This special program from Florida Public Radio has been a presentation of WLRN Public Media in Miami. Thanks for listening.